0: So this week's message is, is amended and refined, and I had to really think of that. I started to put on the sign out there, proofed, or proofread, and I thought, well, that's that an, an, nah, didn't feel good. Amended, which means to kind of improve upon, right? Amended or to, to double-check and, and correct, but it's a little softer word than refined. Of course, we know what that means, but last week we concluded the multi-part series titled Making Room, where we looked at some of the things that we allow to take up space in our hearts and in our minds, things that we need to remove so that we can make room in our lives for things that prepare us to receive the wonderful gift afforded to us through the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we were reminded that we need to ask for and allow ourselves to receive forgiveness. That was the first one we looked at forgiveness from God. And likewise, we need to offer the same forgiveness to others and even to ourselves because sometimes we're so incredibly hard on ourselves that we need to ask for and forgive ourselves as well. And holding on to hurt and resentment not only withholds the love that God has commanded us to show towards others and ourselves, it takes up space and reserve for God's love towards you. And, And as a result, it's hard to accept love when you can't forgive yourself. It's hard to love another when you can't forgive them. We talked about, well, what do you do if, you, uh, if they don't ask for it or they don't even know that they did something wrong? And I won't go through that again. It's all online, so you're happy to listen to it. But, you know, it's tough. It's tough. And that's why God tells us we need to do it because it absolutely needs to be done to be ready for Jesus to do his work. And similarly, we were reminded that having a hesitation to trust in God to handle every aspect of our lives could prevent us from receiving the promise of a life of Abundance. Right? That's what he promised, a life of abundance. Having faith that God is in control encourages us and empowers you to keep growing and moving towards salvation. And finally, last week, we were reminded that loving God and loving others, and that means absolutely all others, and loving ourselves is reflective of God's overwhelming and unconditional love towards you. And we concluded by making some rescue prayers that asked God to point out areas of our life that may be taking up space, time and energy that actually belongs to him. And this week we're gonna look at what scripture says about how God will answer this risky prayer. And it's a risky prayer because it doesn't always feel good to say, God, show me where I'm lacking. No one wants to be convicted or or have their mistakes pointed out. But today is March 14th, and so I'm gonna go back, you know, these these proofreading marks on the screen kinda remind you of school. Maybe you'll remember this from your school days. Shakespearean play by the name of Julius Caesar was warned, beware the Ides of March. Anybody remember that? Beware the Ides of March. And that sounded ominous. Now, I'm quite confident none of us will be assassinated like Caesar was, but but think about this for a moment. We're almost a quarter of the way through this year. How are you doing with any goals you've set for 2021? Does anyone still have a New Year's resolution intact? I don't either, I don't feel bad. I even had my annual review this week uh, at work this past week and, and it was my leader's opportunity to tell me how I'm doing with the goals that we jointly set for me this coming year. You know, you're a third of the way in. How are you, or a fourth of the way in. How are you doing? Are you on track? I'm happy to say I have a place to go to work tomorrow, so I'm very, <laughs> amen. Anyway, and we're about halfway through this Lenten season and how are you doing with maintaining discipline in whatever you decided to fast or deny yourself during these 40 days? Does anyone need some help staying on track with these types of things? We all do, right? Of course we do. And it's not easy, and even the most difficult things can be accomplished or overcome with God's help. Remember, the scripture says, I can do all things through whom, right? Right. Real change is possible. And I see some of you wives smiling. I know what you ladies are thinking. Getting your husband to use a laundry hamper is not what I'm talking about. Pray for it all you want. <laughs> Maybe he'll convict us, I don't know. But, but genuine improvement, how it's accomplished is what we're gonna look at this week. The kind of help that is available, actually the kind of help that is promised to us to help us reach the most important goals in our life, the very important goals. And we often refer to this familiar words of 2 Timothy 3.16 when we talk about the Bible. And it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and aid in training in righteousness, right? Reproof, teaching, and correction. There's that word, correction. And in Hebrews 4.12, Apostle Paul says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, the word of God. Remember, the Bible is a tool. And here he's saying it'll teach you, it'll, it'll convict you, Right, not condemn. It'll convict you, it'll correct you, and it'll prepare you. Is also saying it can, it will decide in your life if you let it. What's good and bad, good and evil, your thoughts and intentions. With that in mind, listen to the risky prayer of the prophet Jeremiah. This is from uh, chapter ten, verse twenty-four. It says, "Correct me, O Lord," but he says, "But with justice, not with your anger, or you will bring me to nothing." I like this wording because it not only asks God for the help needed to make a change within us, but also to do it in the way that God prefers to do it. That's through justice and discipline, not punishment and anger. It's the apostle Paul expands on this in his letter found in Hebrews 12, 10 through 11. He says, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. He's talking about man. He said, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness no discipline seems pleasant at the time, right? But painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Unpleasant correction. Does anyone have a fear of red ink? Does any of this stuff make you go, oh, you remember those, you get your papers back with some red ink on it? That Maybe. Yeah, I mean, the teachers, I remember even with my kids, like on your, on your school supply, list was to provide red, two red pens for the teacher, right? <laughs> does this side of the proofing marks bring back some of these memories? And, and they're good things, right? This is, this is, these are tools used to show you how to do something different, a little better. And this is a real thing. This, this fear of red ink, it's called at, atikiphobia, atychiphobia. A-T-Y-C-H-I-phobia. Atychiphobia, which is a fear of being told you're wrong. Right? It's a real thing, I looked it up. And this is usually because of an experience we've had or an anticipation of a bad experience. So I want to give you an example. You're in for a real treat. Please don't tell anyone I shared this at church. An example, uh, uh, how to do things the wrong way. This is a video? Oh. Um, <laughs> I love that you're taking notes instead of pushing the button. That's awesome. I, Thank I you, dear. I was, yeah. Pushing Mr. Hand. From? Fast times, one high. F F. Three weeks we've been talking about the Platt Amendment. What are you people on um, dope? A piece of legislation was introduced into Congress by Senator John Platt. It was passed in 1906. This amendment to our Constitution has a profound impact upon all of our. Where is Jeff Spicoli? I saw him earlier today in the first floor bathrooms. Is he still on campus? Anyone? Yes, Hesman? I saw him at the food machines. How long ago? Right before class. Okay. Bring him in. What is this fascination with truth? What is it that gets inside your heads? There are some teachers in this school who look the other way at truants. It's a little game that you both play. They pretend they don't see you, you pretend you don't ditch. Now, who pays the price later? You! <coughs> the is a birthday party to here. <laughs> oh, what's the reason for your truancy? Couldn't you make it on time. You mean you couldn't or you wouldn't? Well, it's like a full crowd seeing through night. Food will be even on your time. Why are you continuously late for this class, Mr. Sigoni? Why do you shamelessly waste my time like this? I don't know. be right. you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave your words on this board for all my classes to enjoy. giving you full credit, of course, Mr. Cohen. Alright. Okay. <laughs> so as you can see, you know, that's I don't know if you ever had to teach like that. It just kind of was demeaning or maybe a boss or something like that. But aren't you glad you don't have a God like that that says your efforts See. F, by the way, and everybody gets to hear everybody's doing F, F. You know, he doesn't make you come to class. He doesn't make you come to church. He wants you to be here, right? And he's glad when you're here. He's not a Mr. Hand. So what is God's discipline? What does his red ink and proofreading marks look like? Well, if you're in a fury of busyness, which we all get in from time to time, he might tell you to, to add a comma or a semicolon, right? To pause, If you're in a time where you're headed down the wrong path, he might might throw a period up there and say, whoa, need you to change direction here. He may need to do like this little carrot thing, you know, where you add the word in there. He says, he may need to remind you to interject something in your life. He may remind you to capitalize something that should be important or to lowercase something that shouldn't be. He may draw a line through something to indicate a mistake in a little Delete mark. And I love this in accounting. Remember, they they just put a single line. That's all you'd put. You'd never scratch it out. Because God doesn't want to demean you. He doesn't want to scribble out and go, You stink. He he wants to go, No, this is wrong. I want you to see what you did. (laughs) Is there a story to be shared? (laughs) (laughs) He may remind you to use a quotation mark, right? Quote me. Quote me to yourself. Quote me to others. Speak my words. Friends, God must correct you because his desire is to bless you abundantly and to share an eternity with you in heaven. The very place that Jesus Christ made possible for you to enter, the place that he went ahead to prepare a place for you. In correction, God's kind of correction, it's it's refining, right? It's improving. It's not damaging. It gives life. It does not destroy it. Psalm 66, 10 through 12, it says, For you have tried us, O God, you have refined us as a silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water, yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. And we studied this a few months ago. The amount of heat and pressure that is constant and a constant attention by the craftsmen to refine and remove impurities from silver was unimaginable, 1,450 degrees. It literally burned off everything else. And the, the craftsman, the refiner had to sit there and by hand monitor this process and, and remove the stuff from the top to make it pure. God doesn't just put you through a fire and go, let me know when you're done. He's there lovingly scooping away the, the, the stuff that gets brought to the surface if you let him. Have you gone through something that felt like that? Are you going through something like that now? Are you prepared and willing to subject yourself to that in order to become refined? See, God knows what needs to be done. And I love how David describes this in Psalm 139. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Okay, that feels good, right? My best friend, the guy who's gonna, has everything in control, he knows me. It feels good. But he goes on, he says, you know when I sit down and you rise. And when I rise, okay, good. You're with me all the time. You perceive my thoughts from afar. uh-oh. Uh-oh. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Boy, boy, I sure hope I'm doing this right if he's with me like that. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. (laughs) Expletive. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Amen, right? Right, he's with you. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you're going through. Now that may be a little convicting, but that's the way he works. We shouldn't go there together. I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to think that. I don't want you to say that. And God knows you. He knows what you think, what you say, and what you do, but he didn't leave you powerless to make a change. From 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit, not a fear, but a power and love and self-control. You have it within you. You are fully equipped to do what God asks you and expects you to do. And we hear this so often from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not going through this alone. God is faithful. There's the promise. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, okay? Whatever you're going through, you can handle it. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when you're in the fire, God will protect you. If you're being tempted, he will give you an escape. And a lot of times that escape is just a, to stop. And turn around. Why does he allow some of these horrible things to exist? I mean, he didn't create all that, but, but he does allow some of these things to happen. And there, there are many things in the world that God would not have chosen for us as his children to experience. But, but like all things, he can use them for our good. From 1 Peter 1, 7, he says, so that proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, there it is again, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's gonna use it. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given him. I love that. God, why is this happening to me? See if he says, there's a lesson to be learned here. Or he might just say, hang in there. I can't tell you yet, but I'm working on it. Perhaps his answer will be like that. He offered Isaiah from 48, nine through 11. He says, for my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. This is God talking. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to destroy you completely. See, I've refined you, though not as silver. He says, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my sake, I do this. The testing, the refining, the teaching aren't ours to control. But our response is, from Proverbs three eleven through twelve it says, "My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in." Now this is looking at through God's perspective. Why would He allow this thing to happen? Why is God disciplining me? Not punishing, but why is He disciplining? Why is He correcting me in this way? Because that's what a loving father does. Proverbs 12, what? Whoever loves discipline love, loves knowledge. Now you're gonna, this is a little bit of a different translation, but whoever hates corruption is stupid. I left that word stupid in, instead of the, the NIV version because it, it makes a sharp point, right? There's ignorance because we don't know better. And this is stupid because it's not a smart decision. If you love discipline, you, it's because you want to learn, you want to get better. But if you hate correction, you're really you're really putting up an obstacle to the the stuff that God has intended for you. So why would it be stupid to hate this? Because like the things we've studied for the past few weeks, it gets in the way of the gift of salvation. If God wants you to live a life abundantly, if he wants you to, to enjoy this world, if he wants you to experience all the wonderful things he has in store for you, why would you put anything ahead of that barrier or ahead of that blessing? And sometimes it takes a process. Luke 14:28. here's a, another kernel of wisdom says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the costs, whether he has enough to complete it. Again, God has equipped you. You have everything you need to complete this process that starts now and leads you through your faith and progresses to salvation, glorifying God in heaven. And this just encourages and empowers us to grow further. For the spirit God gave us, not to make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I read that a minute ago. Again, you're equipped. But our response must also include how we are to share this with others. From Ephesians 6.4, my kids used to love to quote this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In other words, don't be a Mr. Hand. Don't torment Right? When you want to correct others, when you want to hold someone else accountable to, to, better, to live a better life, a, a more Christian life, to show and, and receive love, don't tell them what they're doing wrong in a way that makes them feel condemned, like less of a person. You want to build up. In fact, it's Paul's letter to Hebrews says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And God's love and correction and refining in our lives demands a response. And if you say, I'm not gonna do anything with this, that's still a choice. You're responding by saying, I'm gonna do nothing. But how will you prepare for the gift of salvation if you do nothing? And as always, I just wanna include a couple words of, of caution. When you struggle, when you get discouraged and, and even fail, and, and, and you will, we all do, understand is by grace you've been saved through, through faith. Right? We're... we're Commanded to make the effort, and when we fall short, that's where grace kicks in. And this is not our own doing. Scripture says it's the gift of God. Right? It doesn't alleviate us uh, or relieve us of our responsibility to make the effort. And these aren't my own words; these are God's own words—a covenant promise in Scripture. And if you've gone far enough to feel like you've mastered it all, or, or you look at others with condescension as they struggle. You know, I want you to remember these words from the Apostle Paul again, Romans twelve three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, he says, do not think of himself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. We're all in this together. All have struggled, all fall short. Your problems may be different than mine, but we both have problems and we're all working for it. We may be on different places in our relationship with God, on our different places in our faith walk, but we're all on it. And the result of this process is awesome. Listen to the words of Job, who certainly was a man of God, right? An upright man. God loved him and favored him, but he was still afflicted. In Job 5, 17, he says, "'Blessed is the one whom God corrects.'" So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. It's a blessing, it's indicating God loves you enough to not leave you alone to not let you make a mistake, to not be with him in eternity in heaven. He loves you that much. And as a result, Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, this is our faith, and we have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to conclude with just one more scripture and then an invitation. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. This is Paul writing to the early followers in Corinth. He says, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to your repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you will proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. He's saying, we delight in your suffering, not because we wanted anything to happen to you, but because of what happened as a result. That is my prayer for you, and it should be your prayer for each other. But if you're at a point where you're saying, where is God in this? I sure feel like he's, he's absent, or maybe he's being really hard on me, or, or maybe I'm struggling with some other aspect of these things we've talked about. I just don't know that I am ready to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. I, maybe I don't even know what it means. And so talk to me. Let's sit down. Let's, let's see what God has to say to you about this. And I love this. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this as a benediction. This is from Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. That is what we should all desire to hear. And that is what God promises he wants to say to us. Whatever we have in this world, it's not a lot compared to the abundance we're experience in heaven. He says, well done. I've been watching you. I've been with you. I've seen what you've done. Good job. Now enter and spend this eternity with me. Let's pray. Father God, as we continue with our eyes on the cross, knowing that the culmination of this Lent season, we celebrate the sacrifice and really the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But between now and then, he will go from acclaimed teacher to welcomed teacher to accused and persecuted heathen. You'll be hung to a cross and tortured and killed. Not because of anything he did, but because of everything we did. But Lord, what is amazing about this wonderful gift that we will celebrate in a few weeks is what it means for us now. It is finished, he said, but it wasn't finished just once. It was finished then and for all times. And Lord, forgive us for every wrongdoing, every word that that may come from our mouth, every thought in our mind, every action that we do that drove a nail into his hands or to his feet. Lord, we know that when we have this simple prayer that says, Lord, forgive me for what I've done, what I've said or what I've thought, you say it's covered. It's covered. Well done. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your son, the new covenant that gave us this ability to talk to you, to have this relationship with you. Lord, I also thank you for this church. And I don't just mean this wonderful building that was built many years ago and all that's contributed, but this church, this body of Christ, this universal gathering of people across the world that seeks you. Father, let us leave here being changed for what we've heard today and let us strive to change those around us. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Not because of of what we've done, but because of what you've done through and for us. Let us never hesitate to share our story or to give a reason for the hope that we have. We lift all we do up to you, Lord. May it always please you. May you guide us and protect us. All who are here this morning, those who are listening online, and keep us safe. Amen.